If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me uh, hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their, in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. It is hard to believe that, uh, that we're just a week away from celebrating the birth of Jesus. And many of us in the room remember you'd get out of school on break, and that was called Christmas break. And it's not Christmas break anymore. I think it's winter break now. Uh, you remember when uh, you'd be out in public, maybe at a, at a store, and, and um, you're saying goodbye to someone you don't know, the, the checker, and they would say Merry Christmas to you. And, and you would say that back with a smile. And, and now it's a, it's a happy holidays greeting. Our culture has shifted, and as Christians, we know what Christmas is about, and, and yet our, our culture tries hard to make Christmas not about Jesus. And even as Christians, we, we are sucked into that at times. So at some point, some Christian labeled this the war on, on Christmas. Uh, we're going to watch a video uh, about the war on Christmas globally. It's humbling to realize what uh, Christians across the globe face. I can't I can't imagine needing to sneak away in the woods with a handful of other Christians so that I could celebrate the birth of Jesus. Our freedom to worship is, is truly great um, that we have here in our country, and it's something that I largely take for granted. Verse 18, Jesus says that the world hates you. Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. The cross is right around the corner for Jesus. He knows exactly what his disciples need, what they're going to need over the next few days, months, and years. They're going to be tested whether they will truly follow Jesus, whether they will stand firm in Christ no matter what they face. And the disciples have seen what Jesus means when they say the world has hated me. They've been front row to see crowds that wanted to kill him. On multiple occasions, they could feel the hatred towards Jesus. So when Jesus says the world has hated me, they know 
They, they were there. I'm not sure if it was shocking for these men to consider being hated like Jesus was hated. It's difficult for me to imagine being hated like Jesus. This passage today confronts modern-day believers, no matter what part of the globe you're on, with a question, and it's our truth statement for today. Will you continue to believe in Jesus and trust in him, even in the face of persecution? No matter what the form of persecution is, will, will I hold to my belief that Jesus is the Christ, that I absolutely need him, that he is Lord, and that the whole world needs him in order to be forgiven of sin? Jesus tells his followers they will face it. As the world persecuted him, we will be persecuted too because we align ourselves with Jesus of Nazareth. As Pastor Gary mentioned, December 9th, just a week ago, Early Rain Covenant Church in, in China um, was raided. Uh, the pastor was arrested. His wife was taken uh, a day or two later. So their 11-year-old son is, is, is with grandma, waiting. The pastor faces probably at least five years. Some people are guessing maybe up to 15 years. Um, elders have been arrested. Tons of church members have been arrested. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of underground churches, from my limited understanding, in, uh, in China, they're very secretive, right? You don't know where they're meeting. Early Rain uh, is out in the public. Um, they, they post their sermons online. They do street evangelism, even in the face of what's coming. Um, there's about 500 that come to their weekly gatherings, or I should say weekend gatherings. And, and then during the week, there's over a dozen sites where there's uh, up to 800 uh, Christians that, that gather knowing what they face in, in China. Um, uh, it, it's amazing the day and age that we live in. So the church is posting on their Facebook page, like updates, and, and there are organizations around the world that are, that are taking those to, to spread that to believers so that we can pray along with them. Um, there's a, a letter that one of, uh, one of the elder's wives uh, wrote to her husband who, who was detained. I want to read it to you. Dear husband, last night I slept well. When I woke up this morning, I heard that you'd been taken away. At that moment, my heart had great peace because I knew that you had already prepared for this moment long ago. I haven't been able to sleep tonight. I'm sure things are hard for you right now, too, so I'll just accompany you in your sleeplessness. I want to tell you a few things in case you might see this. I heard that they usually bring you back to your home when they search it. I subconsciously hope to use the opportunity to see you for a moment, but they still haven't come. I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm not afraid of them at all. On the contrary, I pity them. I hope you do too. I know you must be worried about me because you've seen how much of a mess I've been lately. But I'm doing very well now. I love the Lord more these past two days than I ever have before. More than anything, my heart is joyful and at peace. At night, tears flow by themselves, but it's not grief. It's hard to say exactly what it is. I just spent a long time thinking about it, and I'm still thinking to myself, why are you crying? I finally asked myself, aren't you willing to experience this tiny little bit of pain for the Lord? My conclusion was, I'm willing. I'm very willing because I know that this slight momentary affliction is not worth comparing uh, to that eternal glory that is to come. I'm willing to foot that bill. So why am I crying? It might, it might be just because I'm human. But you can completely relax. Crying is one thing. Finishing crying is another thing. I allowed myself to cry, but I haven't felt the least bit of despair. Even if I look for it, I can't find any. Sometimes I want to despair for a moment and grieve a little bit, 
but I really don't feel like it, so forget about it. I think the Lord has replaced the despair with his fullness. The little ones miss you. I told them missing daddy is normal. It would be strange not to miss him. If you miss him, then miss him. Little D immediately said, after we fall asleep, we won't miss him. And then he fell asleep immediately. This afternoon, I prayed with you according to our agreed upon time. Sorry, I was 10 or so minutes late. <laughs> Lastly, I want to say that knowing what I'm going to receive as a result of what I'm going through now makes me feel so much better. I really do thank our Father in heaven. His plans are most certainly the best. They cannot be mistaken. So what more is there to say? I will joyfully accept them. I love you. I'm going to bed now. I was at 3.52 that morning. I don't know if you caught it, but early on in the letter, she said, my heart had great peace because I knew you had already prepared for this moment long ago. We have brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that expect persecution to happen. I don't know how he prepared for this exactly. I guarantee there are some relentless prayer sessions going on as this church gathered, whether it was many or just a few. I'm sure he memorized scripture and fasted, but they expected this to come. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. And earlier in the passage, John labels them the world. He doesn't say the world in verses 22 through 25 there, but he's talking about the world, which is anyone who's not in Jesus. Anyone who's not in Jesus is, is against Jesus. And we're familiar with the phrase, us against the world. And here, it is true. It is, it is us and Jesus against the world. But this is a strange battle because we were of the world before. We remember what it's like to be in rebellion against Jesus, to think of ourselves as qualified to be Lord of our own lives. We know that we too had no excuse for our sin, and if not for God's grace, we would still be dead in our sin. So it is us against the world, but we have compassionate hearts for this world. We long for hearts to turn to Jesus. We desperately want souls to respond to Jesus, even if they're the persecutors. But Jesus told his followers to accept this, expect this. First um, John 3.13 Maybe a familiar verse, Jesus says, or John says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And yet, as Americans, I think most of us probably find ourselves surprised. We, we have it um, pretty easy compared to Christians throughout the ages. Our country's been abnormally friendly to Christians because of our, our, our nation's beginnings. Our country's history towards Christianity is not the normal experience. Most Christians have faced violent persecution, as many do today. And we recognize that, that our nation's attitude towards Christianity, the Bible, towards Jesus, has also shifted and, and, and continues to shift. We may not face persecution like ISIS or, or other extremists that are imprisoning Christians, killing Christians, torturing Christians. Um, Pope Francis, a couple years ago, used the phrase, polite persecution. 
is what we face in the West. I don't know exactly what he means by that. I didn't take a lot of time to read into it. But, but we do face a persecution, even though it may not be like what our brothers and sisters face uh, when they face a violent persecution. And Jesus says, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised. You will face persecution. So we shouldn't be surprised by the hypocrisy of our culture that cries out for tolerance of every belief system, but seems to not be tolerant uh, of the Christian beliefs. Jesus prepared his disciples for this so they would stand firm and not fall away. I remember uh, in youth group, and if you were ever in a youth group, maybe you remember a story like this too, um, of uh, some foreign country Christians gathered in a small church for their service, and then a bunch of people come in with masks and guns and line them up and, and, and make them choose. Are they going to renounce Jesus or, or die? And the youth pastor used that to make you think, what are you going to do? And it was clear to me, I had no idea what I would do. I don't know if I would have the courage by the Holy Spirit to stand up for Jesus, because I know I'm fully capable of being a coward. I shared a quote a couple months ago when we were talking about death. It's, I'm not afraid of death, but I am afraid of dying. And I, I, reson, I, I resonate with that. I'm not afraid of death. I know where I'm going because of Jesus, but, but the dying part does scare me a little bit sometimes. Jesus says, no matter what the persecution is, we don't need to, fer, we don't need to fear the persecutors. In Matthew 10, 28, he says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So if, if you are in Jesus, there is nothing to fear. And we could replace the, uh, the do not fear those who kill the body. We could replace that with, with persecution that we might face. Do not fear your colleague's opinion of you because of me, but instead fear what God thinks. Or do not fear losing your job for my name's sake. Or do not fear losing friends or family members who reject me. Or perhaps, do not fear being labeled intolerant on account of me. My suspicion is, many of us, and I include myself in this, we care way too much about what people think of us. Way too much when we need to care what people think of Jesus. One question that's always confronted me as I've read this passage is, what does it mean if I don't face persecution? Right? Because, honestly, a lot of my life I haven't really felt like I've faced persecution. I think that is, in our culture, is cranking up, and we'll see more of that. But here, here are two possibilities, and I'm sure there's others, but here are the two that I thought of. If you aren't facing persecution, ask yourself, is it because the only people that know you're a Christian are safe? Right? People that are open on some level to Christianity, or people that are at least nice enough that they wouldn't, wouldn't ridicule you or persecute you in any way? Or is the version of Christianity you disclose to others very cautious, very careful not to step on toes? And I'm not saying that we, we want to try and offend people, but we do have to realize that the message of the gospel is offensive to the world. The, the cross is offensive. It's offensive to tell someone that they're a sinner, that they're dead in sin, that they needed Jesus to die in their place. So the message is offensive. It is exclusive. I think of Stephen in the book of Acts. He was killed for words he spoke about Jesus. 
great words that he spoke about Jesus. And it's not hard to imagine that perhaps there were people on the periphery of the church that, that they were trying to figure out if they were going to follow Jesus or not, that maybe questioned why Stephen's words were so abrasive. Did he have to say it that way? Did he really need to say like he did in chapter 7, verse 51, that they're stiff-necked, uncircumcised in hearts and ears who always resist the Holy Spirit? Those are fighting words, Stephen. Come on. And the persecution trended upward after Stephen's speech and his death. Maybe some people blame Stephen, but there are many who didn't. Acts chapter 8, verse 2 says, Devout men buried him and lamented over his death. They did not blame him. They knew that he spoke true gospel words in the hope that some would go from being of the world to being of Jesus. Do we long for people to come to see that Jesus truly is God? Is that what we hope for? How much do we hope for that? Because I'm sure churches all over our country are filled with many church attenders that, that would be happy for someone to come to know Jesus, someone that was lost to be found. But that's different than longing for people to turn from sin and to turn to Jesus. Are you regularly praying for specific people to trust in Jesus? Are we regularly asking the Holy Spirit when we're in a conversation with someone that doesn't know Jesus, are we asking the Holy Spirit to give us words right in that moment so that we can speak to them about him? As I mentioned, after Stephen was killed, the persecution continued, and the effect was that the early church was scattered. They spread into other areas, and that spreading of believers was used by God to spread the gospel. It's, it's awesome. It's so clear that God was at work. So we never... We never want persecution. We certainly don't pray for persecution, but we do recognize that God uses persecution. Um, uh, I'm sure that the early believers were, were pretty comfortable in their church. I'm sure when they gathered, just like us, they had friends that they sat by at church, but God had bigger plans for them. The persecution was going to be exactly um, how God was going to move the gospel. As he promised in, in Acts 8.1, so this is before Stephen was killed. He said, but you will receive, this is Jesus, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Then after Stephen's death, this is Acts 8.1, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. God is in control. And historically, if we look at persecution across the globe, when the church is persecuted, the church grows. And sometimes that growth is explosive. It makes no sense that that would be the case. It makes no sense at all besides God being truly sovereign. But our brothers and sisters that are persecuted around the world, they know it. They know that God is working, and they pray that they will be strengthened to stand and to be a testimony that points to Jesus. They know that their continuing in following Jesus is glorifying to him, even if it means losing their job, losing their family, losing place in society, even if it means being imprisoned or beaten or threatened or, 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 or even facing death. Continuing to follow Jesus in the face of persecution is an offering to God. Esther Ann Kim walked slowly up the hill to the shrine with her students following silently behind her. The young music teacher knew that when she arrived at the place of worship, she would be forced to make a life-altering choice. 
The Japanese, who had taken control of Korea two years prior in 1937, were forcing everyone to bow at the shrine of their sun god. The punishment for refusing uh, was imprisonment, torture, and possibly death. At that moment, Esther knew what she would do. Even though so many other Christians had decided that outwardly bowing to the idol was acceptable as long as they continued to worship Christ in their hearts, Esther could make no such compromise. She would not bow to any other but the one true God. Defying the Japanese warlords would most likely mean torture and imprisonment, but Esther decided that she would not live her youthful life for herself. She would offer it fully to her prince, Jesus Christ. She said a silent prayer to him. Today on the mountain before the large crowd, I will proclaim that there is no other God but you, she declared. Esther's group was last to arrive at the shrine. A huge crowd had gathered, standing in straight, respectful lines, afraid to move because of the cruel gazes of the Japanese policemen. Esther's heart began to pound with dread for what she was about to do. A sense of uneasiness swept over her, and she silently repeated the Lord's Prayer over and over again. Lord, she prayed, I am so weak. Please help me do this. Watch over me as I stand for you. Then the call for attention came. The commander said, our profoundest bow to our sun god. And as he shouted this, these words, the entire group bent over, bowing solemnly before the shrine. Esther was the only one who remained standing, looking up at the sky. The fear and uncertainty that had gripped her just moments before had vanished. Calmness and peace flooded her. She had done what she knew God wanted her to do. On the long walk back to school, Esther continued in her dialogue with God. I've done what I should have done, she told him. Now I commit the rest to you. I died today on that mountain. Now it is only you who lives through me. I leave everything in your hands. When Esther arrived back at the school, four detectives were waiting for her. Years of intense suffering for her Lord were about to begin. But something happened to Esther that day in front of the shrine, something that changed her forever. She was no longer afraid of what men could do to her. Her life was only a tool in the hands of the Lord. For several months, Esther lived in hiding. She knew it was only a matter of time before she was found and imprisoned for the stand that she had taken against the Japanese. But instead of cowering in fear and worrying about her future, she decided to prepare her heart and her body to suffer for Christ. I knew it would be impossible for me to keep my faith in my own power. God would have to work through me if I were to stand for him. Months of faithful, diligent preparation, fasting, memorizing scripture, tirelessly praying, and training to endure harsh conditions transformed Esther from a weak, frail, faltering young woman to a bold, confident ambassador for Christ. Instead of fearing torture, she now faced it boldly in the power and grace of God. Esther felt her calling, uh, sorry, Esther felt God calling her to come out of hiding and boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel among the Japanese. She knew it would likely lead to her death, but she was determined to follow the Lamb wherever he led. Her courageous stand for Christ led to six harrowing years in Japanese prisons, and during that time, though her body grew weak with suffering, she shone the supernatural love towards her uh, persecutors and fellow prisoners. Even through torture, she refused to deny the name of Christ. Her astounding example of suffering hardship as a good soldier for Christ brought many into the kingdom who would never have heard the gospel otherwise. After she was released, the story of her imprisonment and unwavering faith became the all-time religious bestseller in Korea, inspiring countless thousands to stand strong in their faith. 
One time in prison, she gave up her meager prison food for several days to a woman who was filthy, insane, and sentenced to death for murdering her husband. Instead of being repulsed by the woman as every other prisoner was, Esther prayed relentlessly for her, sacrificing her own comforts to reach the woman's heart. The woman died in her right mind, knowing Jesus with a hope and a future. Such sacrifice and personal suffering for Christ's sake is only possible through the supernatural grace of God. Only one who has truly given up everything to follow Jesus can exude such grace in the face of hardship. I have the book about her life. It's incredible. It's just sitting on my bookshelf doing me no good. I've already read it. If you want to read it, come get it after the service from me. Um, God is so glorified when, when followers continue to follow Jesus in the face of persecution. Verse 1 of chapter 16 said, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Jesus was preparing them for what was coming. He did not want them to fall away. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. John means for there to be great irony there when he says the people killing think they're making an offering to God. It is an offering, but it's not the killer who's making the offering. It's the persecuted that is making the offering. They're saying with their physical life, this doesn't compare to knowing you, Jesus. Verse 4, But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. We can be sad about the shift in our culture towards Christianity, but we should not be surprised. Jesus knew that this would happen. He will use persecution wherever it comes against his people to bring glory to himself by his people standing firm. Last week in our passage, multiple times, Jesus says, you pray, ask him my name, ask the Father, and it will be granted to you. So here are some things we, we need to pray for. We need to pray that God would be glorified, that God would produce fruit out of persecution, that as this pruning happens, that, that it would make even more fruit, and we should expect that God will produce that fruit. And we need to pray for there to be a faithful witness wherever there's persecution. We certainly need to pray for brothers and sisters in Christ that are persecuted. We need to pray for the persecuted church. Our next Sunday morning before our service prayer gathering is January 13th. We're going to pray that Sunday for the persecuted church. As Gary mentioned, opendoorsusa.org uh, is a great resource. The app is great. Um, it, it's hard for us to feel connected to brothers and sisters around the world that we don't know. And yet, because of websites like this, uh, other information that's out there, we can, we can feel a little bit more connected. I was on their website last night. There's even a place for you to write a note. To, uh, to uh, There's only a handful of brothers and sisters in Christ that you can do this to through Open Doors USA. But you, you can write them a note. So I wrote a note to a guy who was beaten in his village. He's been hospitalized. He's, even in the hospital, he's been receiving threats. The, the police have done uh, basically nothing for him. And I was able to write, write a note to him and tell him, you don't know me. <laughs> I'm, I'm from Camas, Washington. I'm praying for you. And I shared some scripture with him. It, it's incredible. Uh, how connected we can really be to our brothers and sisters around the world. We certainly need to pray for persecutors. In Matthew 5:44, Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We remember that before Apostle Paul was Apostle Paul, he was Saul, the persecutor of the early church. We need to pray that God would save these persecutors. We need to pray that God would 
would help us to be a bold witness to this world. John 15, 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will bear witness, and the Holy Spirit will bear witness through us. So we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would strengthen us, even, even if we face persecution in any form, that we would honor Jesus as Lord, that we would continue to believe in him, that we would stand for him. Let's pray. Jesus, I do thank you for the incredible freedom that we have here in our country to worship you openly, Lord. And um, God, like the, uh, like the, elder, the elder's wife who wrote that letter, Lord, is, is perhaps as our freedoms change, God, as, as pressure comes um, in our culture, in our country, God, would we gladly, as she said, I think, foot that bill in order for you to be glorified. Would we be way more concerned with people knowing you, Jesus, than, than with our comfort or our reputation, what people think of us? Lord, we do pray for um, early, early Rain Covenant Church. We, we pray for all those families that, that don't have mom or dad home right now. We pray for the, the, the leaders, God, in that church, the, the ones that, that are not in prison. Will you help them to lead that church well, Jesus? Would they depend on you, Holy Spirit? God, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that for Christmas they will have to hide in order to celebrate you. Jesus, will you keep them safe? Would their Christmas be such a celebration, Lord? Would it be so worshipful and honoring to you? Would it be a fragrant aroma to you, Jesus? We love you, Lord. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.